Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are going to be discussing Ryan Coogler's first foray into the comic book adventures with Disney's Marvel's Black Panther and Steven Soderbergh's kind of, I don't want to say underseen, but underrated uh, comedy Logan Lucky. That took me a minute to get around to. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about the news. And before we start that, Andy, what'd you watch this week? Uh, I saw a whole lot uh, this week. Um, went and saw Black Panther on opening night. Of course. Uh, some reserve seating. And, oh, wow. And uh, saw Jumanji over the weekend uh, before it uh, left theater. It's been in the theaters almost two months. Right. That's the new Jumanji. Right. Exactly. Right. And is that, What is that? Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle? Or? Yes. Okay. We should talk about that more. If we have time, we should get to that at the end of the show. Sure thing. And then, yeah, uh, then I, of course, I also saw Logan Lucky, which, Logan I've, Lucky. which I've seen before. Right. I have not seen it before. I saw Black Panther Sunday, not reserved seats, just showed up to, to take a chance to see where I could sit and got pretty good seats regardless. Uh, Logan Lucky on Amazon Prime, which is my first time seeing it. I also watched almost all of the Lord of the Rings trilogy extended edition. I watched Fellowship, Two Towers, and the first half of Return of the King. And my girlfriend stayed home sick yesterday and she watched... The rest, the rest of it without me. It so, yeah. And to be fair, that was another two hours of movies. So, I'm okay with it. What you said a few weeks ago, because you'd watched Fellowship Extended on Netflix, yeah. you were totally right. Every scene in Fellowship feels epic. Everyone. It's astounding. Like the music swells up. They've got these beautiful colors. There's so much going on. Like it's, it's, it's crazy um, how well that movie's made. Yeah. It's like a movie made completely of climaxes. Yeah. It really is. Even the smallest things. They're like leaving the Shire and it's a big deal. It's nuts. Um, it's Bilbo's like 111th birthday party and it's a big deal somehow. It's crazy. Two Towers didn't feel so much about it that way. Return of the King though starts to swing back towards that. Like Two Towers is kind of a bridge. It's weird. Anyway, let's move on to the news. <laughs> Sorry. Just had nothing to say about it. Our first news story regarding the biggest movie of the week. Uh, Black Panther box office score second highest Sunday ever. Three day total adjusted to 201 million. I read on Twitter somewhere that makes this the fifth biggest box office release of all time. Andy, your thoughts? Wow. I mean, it it just kind of blew the expectations out of the water. And over the last few months, I've seen the, uh, you know, what it was kind of tracking for for the weekend just go up and up. Like it was, first it was like 140 million, then 150. And I think it, it topped out about 160 was where they, they were hoping to hit. And they blew that out of the water and hit $200 million opening weekend in February. You know, right. not, not, not a summer time, you know, release date. <laughs> Right. February is not a popular time at the movies. Like February is usually not a big hit. And this one, uh, it completely worked. I think Disney and a couple other studios, to be fair, Universal, 20th Century Fox, uh, maybe even Sony. They've been doing this thing the past couple of years where they dabble in releasing movies when movies aren't popular, like popular movies aren't released. Right. Um, and it's effective. I, I would argue probably the first big person to do it was James Cameron with Titanic because he released that in December. Back when movies didn't come out in December, when December was like a dead month. And now it's like a tremendous thing. Right. Um, and he arguably started that. I dig it. I, I think good movies should come out all year round, uh, especially like Oscar contenders. I don't think they should be limited to the last couple months of the year. I think this one is a great example of why they should be willing to try it. I'm surprised that the projections were what they were, because I would think Disney releasing a Marvel movie like this, like I would assume they already think it's going to be huge. So when they say it blew their expectations out of the water, that's really got to mean something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing I, I'm reminded of is Civil War. Not Civil War. Uh, Winter Soldier, the second Captain America movie, which came out, I think, in March. And I remember, because it was a March release date, I just didn't think it was going to be very good or whatever. And then I, I, it was like, man, this is like a summer blockbuster and at like an odd time of the year. Right. So it's they've discovered that yeah, you can release great movies all all throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And before we get to the conversation, having seen uh, Black Panther, do you think it, it? You know, do you think it's worth the hype? Do you think those most of the people who went and saw it are disappointed, or do you think it was you know it was worth their time? I mean, so hype is a funny thing because I definitely always try to keep my expectations kind of in in check. But I I felt like it's not so much hype as a, there were was excitement for this movie. There were lots of people that it looked good and they were just excited to see it, even if it was going to be bad. It was almost like Suicide Squad, where I was really hyped for Suicide Squad and then it was terrible 
but you know, uh, leading up to it, it's just like everyone was excited to see it, and that's how this was. And and to me, it totally lived up to the hype, and it it is a better movie than I expected. Right. I think we should probably save our conversation for it. Um, but yeah, for it 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 deserved the box office success that it got. I, I think absolutely. Yeah, it's well earned, well met, Disney. A great job. Are you ready to move on to the next story? We are ready. Perfect. And in another comic book uh, section of cinema, Warner Brothers is reportedly disappointed that Ben Affleck didn't, and this is air quotes here, Robert Downey Jr., the DC Extended (laughs) Universe. I can't, I've said this before the show, I'll say it again, I I can't say this headline without a smile on my face. Like, it, it is the greatest. According to Revenge of the Fans, sources say that Warner Brothers feels a bit disappointed that their Batman star, quote, didn't RDJ this thing. It seems like the studio had hoped that Affleck would go above and beyond, considering his Batsuit as his second skin. However, Affleck has been largely unsure about his stay in the DCEU. Andy, you're a comic book fan. What do you think? It was easy for Robert Downey Jr. to kind of take on that persona of being Iron Man full-time. I think partly because it's a little bit in his character, um, Tony Stark, but also it helps when the franchises are successful and when the movies are successful for you to get behind it and, and really help support them. You know, when, when the franchises kind of suck or just mediocre, like, yeah, of course Ben Affleck's not going to be excited about it. He doesn't want to be attached to this like sinking ship. Right. Well, why would he? I mean, at one point he was directing his own stuff, right? Like he, he can see the writing on the wall. I'm sure he knows that he's kind of supposed to be helming this whole thing. Him and Henry Cavill, who's getting his mustache shaved off digitally because he can't afford to stick around and do it like do reshoots. Like for what it's worth, I think he understands kind of where things are and I can understand that conflict. I just wish that conflict could make it on screen so he could play a better Batman. Um, But for kind of holding up, I don't know. For for Warner Brothers' expectations, it is hilarious that they expected him to be the Robert Downey Jr. of of the DC Extended Universe because Iron Man and Batman are are so different despite their incredible similarities in character, despite the fact that they're both characters who don't really have parents and have a bunch of money and can blow it on anything and make their own superhero suits and fly around or glide around. Uh, like Iron Man is like sarcastic and 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 sassy and listens to ACDC and the dark knight is like brooding and quiet like Super they're so serious. different yeah they're so different so for like for what it's worth i think warner brothers definitely expected a little uh, you know a little too much out of this one yeah definitely and i mean what did they expect him to do like show up in his bat suit everywhere and just like brood and talk in the batman voice i mean i don't, right. I don't know what they thought but like like i said it it would have helped if the movies hadn't sucked yeah, definitely. And I, I, I would honestly attribute a little bit this, of this to, again, uh, their interpretation of the Dark Knight. Because they've got Batman as being this big, burly, brawny guy. And it's like, I, I know we haven't seen that on screen before, per se, but like, I thought, like, Christian Bale's Batsuit in The Dark Knight Rises with like the armor when he's fighting Bane, I'm like, that did the job. He was tough. He didn't need to be this huge hulk of a man, you know. It was just, it was just a guy, and it was cool, and, and it worked. Like, I think, I think their interpretation of Batman that Kevin Smith touted as the greatest Batman on screen ever, for for what it's worth. Whoops. Um, it's a little, yeah, it's a little misguided, personally, and I think uh, Ben Affleck isn't necessarily misguided casting. I just think they could have done better. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of conflicts that they have unwittingly caused. Um, Again, we have a younger version of Superman. That's what Henry Cavill is supposed to be. And But we have like old, retired, heavy drinking Batman, which is kind of odd because, I mean, he just, the only time he ever drinks is when he's is retired. So right. it's, it's an odd kind of dichotomy, kind of a strange uh, direction that they chose to go in for Batman. Yeah. It's not, and- not real like audience friendly version, honestly. Right, and it's, I know it's tough coming off the Dark Knight trilogy. I know it's tough because you're like, we don't want to keep doing that. We want to do our own thing so he's a little bit more friendly to other superheroes. Um, because, yeah, like, I get it. Christian Bale's Dark Knight would look ridiculous standing next to somebody like Wonder Woman. But that being said, I'm like, you know, they managed to work in quite a few villains and heroes in, 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 in the Nolan trilogy. 
it worked, okay? Like, you had Catwoman running around. You had Joker and Scarecrow and Bane. Like, there was enough going on in there. Like, you could have done something. Um, and trying to kind of, like, radicalize it for a more contemporary approach. So it, so, he, so he plays nice with, like, other other superheroes, I guess. Like, I guess I get what they're going for, but I just don't... I don't... I feel like they missed the mark. I mean, yeah, when, when you look at, again, something like Black Panther... Which is, I mean, kind of a B-list, I mean, un, completely unknown superhero for the most part, and just comes in with this great movie, makes a ton of money, and then you have Justice League, which has five, four or five of, like, the biggest heroes in comics and stars, and, like, just does mediocre. It's just, it's really disappointing. Right. Well, I think we've spent enough time talking about Batman. We probably should move on to our first feature. I think the thing everybody wants to hear about I, I don't know if I want to say it or, or you know you go ahead and say it. you're gonna do you're gonna do the go that's, ahead that's right Black Panther don't freeze I never freeze the revolution will not be televised <laughs> the, the huge um, kind of big lead up um, first major Marvel film of of the year yes um, well I'll just give a first short impression. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was a very well-made film, very solid, well-written, good characters, good action, really great villain, which has been Marvel's um, kind of weak point. That they've really struggled to have convincing villains that you know didn't want to just blow up the world just because. Right. Um, so they have a, a much more complex uh, villain that a lot of people I've seen on social media are like, well, maybe maybe he wasn't actually the bad guy. You know, it's one of these really kind of gray area um antagonist um, yeah, it's, gonna, it's gonna be fun trying to dance around that as we talk about it without spoiling anything but I'm, I'm sure we can do it right um well let me go ahead and su- summarize so in civil war is where we first meet um that's captain america civil war we first meet black panther and he is the he's the son of uh, king Tachanka, who is the king of Wakanda, who is very early on, he's killed in the terrorist uh, attack. And so T'Challa, played by Chadwick Boseman, has to kind of take up the mantle of the Black Panther and be the crown the new king of of Wakanda. And so that's kind of the the main setup. And what's interesting is is you have this kind of conflict of how the kingdom should move forward. There's lots of different attitudes. And things like, you know, should we be continue to be isolationist or should we kind of reach out and expose ourselves more to the world? And so it it kind of creates this really good family drama. There's this whole kind of, you know, heavy is the crown idea. And it, it kind of have echoes of reminds me a little bit of Hamlet, of the Lion King, of uh, kind of these these other uh, really great works. Um so that's that's the that's the plot that's the main setup and then um, the antagonist played by Michael B. Jordan he wants the kingdom for himself and he has his re- reasons for wanting to kind of take over. Um, well, before I move on, Zach, what were your impressions? Um, I thought it was okay, and and I think I I feel good about saying that because I think so many people liked it. And, and I, I, I wouldn't want this podcast to just be like a Black Panther love fest. Um, and sure. by okay, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things I liked about it. And the further I get away from seeing it, like the more I think back on it, the more I'm like, yeah, actually, that was really cool. That was really good. Yeah, like the more I kind of read about it, the more, the more I like it more. So in a weird way, my first impression was worse than how I feel about it now. Right. Um, and that there's happens a sometimes. Lot yeah, there's a lot I like this about this movie, and I want to dig into it. And really, my only reservations, I think, were kind of personal and, and really just have to do with the Marvel format. This is the 18th film in right. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So for me, like I said with Thor Ragnarok, I'm starting to get tired of a couple of things, and I want to talk about what those are. But first, um, Gosh, where's the best place to start with this movie? Uh, you know what? I'll start with the go cast. Ahead. I'll start with the cast. The cast. Oh, yeah. It's a good place to start. So this is almost like an ensemble um, cast. You you have Chadwick Boseman, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, um, Lupita Nyong'o, and the list just goes on and on. It's it's kind of a who's who 
um, uh, of actors, and and it's not just that; it's an ensemble story. Um, the women, in particular, are portrayed as very strong. They have very meaningful roles. Um, uh, T'Challa is he's surrounded by his his sister Shuri, who's like the the tech uh, person that that builds all his uh, gadgets. Um, Lupita Nyong'o b- plays uh, a spy. He has another uh, bodyguard uh, named Okoye played by uh Denai Guerrero and these are all like really badass women and it made me, it reminded me of the Amazons in Wonder Woman but kind of in a, a ne- but kind of in a negative way because the Amazons they were cool for like the 5 minutes they were on screen and then they were they were killed fairly early on and then we never see them again mm-hmm. whereas whereas in this movie we have we have these strong women characters throughout the entire movie, and they're a big part of of everything that happens in the plot. And they're really fierce. I mean, they look really badass. Like the the his royal guard have have like these big formidable spears, and they're just really like savage. Um, it's it's really cool. So like it, great cast um, all throughout. Good writing, and I think. I think one of the things I really liked is that I forgot that I was even watching a comic book movie for a lot of the time because it's so much more about the characters and their motivations and their flaws than let's punch each other to death. Yeah, the the Dark Knight effect, sure. You, you forget, you're like, oh yeah, I'm watching a comic book movie that came off the page, yeah. I, I was really impressed, yeah, with the the cast is, is phenomenal. The writing, I, I'm, I'm a little split on. On the one hand, like, the dialogue is great. Like, the way these characters interact with each other, there's a lot of characters they have to introduce. So the way they kind of bring in people and bring in their their conflicts and, and how they, you know, their goals and their aspirations and also, yeah, the, their struggles and how they kind of weave these characters together is really well done. It really is. Like, yeah, nev- nobody ever feels underutilized for having this many characters that you have to introduce to an audience who doesn't know anybody or, or a, a very few people. I, I think there's a couple people in the movie you might haven't seen from previous Marvel movies. But uh, other than that, like, yeah, they, they do a fantastic job of introducing... Uh, warriors or um, leaders or kind of, you know, techie people who you you don't see a whole lot, like family, really well done, really well crafted. The plot for me is a little muddled only because it's it's one of these movies that starts moving in one direction and then kind of zigzags. And starts going in a different way, and and you got to keep up with it. And so you might have your expectations going in, and you gotta you gotta stay open minded, because it'll 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 go a different way. Yeah, and and it's clever right. in that way. Yeah, and in the same way I like Thor Ragnarok, it's very clever in its approach to not just doing a traditional comic book movie. It's like we're gonna do something different. This is gonna be about something different, and and I think it does a great job of that. I worry it might lose some people, especially like little kids, but it's PG-13, so for what it's worth, if you're 13 or older, you should be able to keep up with it. It's pretty good. Sure. Um, the next thing I wanted to mention are the costumes and makeup. It like it just looks really incredible, and it's all this um, pan-African influence in the costumes and in, in the makeup. And, I mean, people must have had to sit in makeup chairs for hours and the, the costume design is, is really impressive and really unique and helps just immerse you in the world. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the influences on the costuming because I did some research after the movie uh, for the show uh, came from different African tribes. Ryan Coogler and his team sat down and they figured out, okay, let's, you know, if Wakanda is supposed to be representation of a continent, not a whole lot of people visit uh, for the big screen, you know, a lot of people go see this movie. What kind of influences can we draw on? And there's a there's kind of an early scene where you see Wakanda is built of five tribes. Yeah. Right? It's five different, really four different tribes plus one. You got to see the movie to see what I'm talking about. But um, each one of these tribes has their own feel, but they're united together under one banner, which is Wakanda. And so, yeah, you'll see these kind of different spikes of color in different outfits and you'll see like different different influences of culture in places and Wakanda is like this kind of beautiful little melting pot for all of that and it's really effective yeah it catches your eye in a lot of really cool ways you get these really rich reds and these really kind of lush greens um the costuming is really well done and as far as the effects go it's a little cgi heavy like i guess you'd expect from sure, any comic yeah. book movie um there's one sequence in particular that i thought man this is this this is a little rough. Somebody should have taken another pass at this and maybe reshot it because it's like it's rough. There, I, I won't, I won't spoil it or give it away, but you might know it when you see it. 
Um, but again, that's to be expected from any any comic book movie. They got to shoot some stuff on set. They can't shoot it all in. I want to say they shot it in South America, which is weird. You'd think they would have shot it in Africa, but you know, go go with what works. Um, yeah, it's it, it it looks really good, and for almost all of the movie, the CGI is spot on. It, it just looks real solid. I really enjoyed the look of the Black Panther suit. It's got this really cool effect where it kind of gets these purple tones in it. Right. Um, that just look real rad. Yeah, and, and it's just, it gives it a really a really cool look that I haven't seen on other superheroes yet, I don't think. Maybe Scarlet Witch kind of had a little, a little hue going for her, the vision. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, like Black right. Panther has an identity all his own as far as the costuming is concerned. I wanted to talk about the music. Uh, I this, this The movie draws from a lot of different influences, but a lot of them are from African culture. The movie actually starts with a flashback to Oakland in 1992 and you get some good hip hop. There's a public enemy poster yeah, <laughs> and it kind of weaves those two together, but in a really charming way that like is, is usually pretty good to listen to. There was a couple scenes where I was like, this just doesn't feel quite right. But for the most part, like it, it really works. Lots of drums, lots of bass. Like it's, it's very effective. You're a music guy. What'd you think? Um, I mean the, what I thought, um, I remember hearing that Kendrick Lamar had, uh, he was supposed to do one song and then after I guess he saw the film or something, he just wanted to kind of do the whole, like the whole soundtrack. And, and I'm yeah. not sure that he did the whole soundtrack, but he, but he does a lot of the songs. I know that they went to uh, Senegal and another couple of other African nations to to work with local musicians and really get the sound. So just wow. like we were talking about how there's the costumes are, you know, are really convincing and really uh, influential or influenced by a uh, pan-African culture, uh, the music is is the same. It it it's again like the Lion King. It it really draws you in and yeah, it helps it did, immerse it, you in the world. I was also reminded of the Lion King like halfway through it, and not necessarily because of like the African influences, um, because of the plot. Like you said, Hamlet as well. And and I know a lot of people had said this was Shakespearean. And I think that's what they were comparing it to. So we should probably dig into that a little bit. Kind of the plot and the main conflict of the movie um which is where i think my biggest issues are um i think the movie ryan coogler said it great i don't have the exact quote pulled up but somebody asked him what is this what what is what's the conflict in the movie he said really it's about wakanda it's about wakanda's place in the world because wakanda is a nation of five tribes that came together after a giant meteorite uh, landed full of vibranium uh, right where they are in the middle of Africa. And they decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to kind of use this for ourselves and build this incredible technology and be this hidden city, hidden away from the rest of the world, because if the rest of the world had access to this, they would... You know, who who knows what they would do. Yeah. So we're going to kind of do our own thing. So Wakanda becomes this incredible kind of hidden hub for technology and advancement and, and, and all of these incredible things. Uh, And like you see in Captain America Civil War, they're kind of just keeping to themselves. They're kind of just doing their own thing. And watching the movie, I couldn't help but ask, and I I really don't want to tread into spoiler territory here. Do you think I am? Am I going too far here? I don't know where you're going, so I can't Okay, you don't know where I'm going. Yeah, okay. I I really wanted to... to, Not going for spoilers here. If you haven't seen the movie, you should be okay. I, I really wondered, like, you know, isn't that... Isn't that kind of selfish? You know, who, why, why do you guys get to own a giant meteorite full of vibranium? <laughs> like, shouldn't shouldn't you share that with the rest of the world? Shouldn't that be something? And this is a very big struggle for our main character, T'Challa, in the movie because he has to look back at what previous kings have done and why they've kind of kept the kept themselves separate from the rest of the world and has to decide if that's what he wants to do now that he's king. That's something he has to kind of overcome. And part of what's so intriguing about the villain in this movie, Michael B. Jordan's character, Eric Killmonger, I want to make sure I got that right, is he's coming at this from in the same way. It's, it's wait, 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 why, why, why don't you want to share this with the rest of the world? You know, why, why, why are you hiding this? Maybe you guys are doing the wrong thing. And you get this brilliant little dichotomy that only happens every once in a while with a comic book movie villain, where just for a second you're thinking, there's kind of something here that, that <laughs> yeah. may not be that crazy and it's effective. What do you think? Well, and he's not the, uh, Killmonger isn't the only one who thinks that there are some of the other tribes who kind of have the same, 
mentality. And they're like, well, this guy kind of has a point. And, and one of the things that's interesting uh, is that I, I've read that uh, there's been comparisons to like uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X kind of in the, they both wanted to have, you know, to advance like civil rights, but they had very different approaches on how to do that. You know, one was through peace, one was through much more aggressive means. Um, and so I, it's just, it's brilliant to have that kind of conflict where y- you, like all, basically everyone's on the same side and it, there's almost like a division within, within Wakanda or within all, everyone who's essentially the good guys because, because it, it's a complex issue and the world is a complex place. Right. And I think that's why I just read a thing when we were doing the news article that said, uh, fans think Michael, yeah, Michael B. Jordan's character is the best villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Personally, I don't know if I'd go that far, but he's up there. He's pretty good because he's just written so well. Like I said, that dialogue really comes together and he asks questions that you think as an audience member, wait, maybe, maybe there's something there. Like he, he might be right. It's almost a, it's almost a Civil War, Mar- Captain America Civil War-esque feeling when you're trying to decide like, where do you land on this whole thing? Like, is there something to that? And it was really cool to start the movie with these questions and then have the movie ask them for me and have the characters deal with it. Like that yeah. was, that was a really engaging experience. I think a lot of people had to experience. Yeah. And in addition to that, there's another, there's more kind of serious issues that are brought up, but real subtly, because I've mentioned before on this show about how if you get too heavy handed with, with things like you get people rolling their eyes and, or maybe not going to see the movie. So it touches on issues of like, um, you know, absentee fathers, racism, slavery, economic inequality, you know, geopolitics, but it's all, it's not heavy handed. It's, it's enough that it comes to your attention, but it's still, you know, we're still having a good time. We're still having a fun movie. Right. And it sets up its world in, in a way that's very effective because it engages those of us who may not have those problems. I am... I am not black. I'm not a woman, <laughs> but this movie has female empowerment. It has, it has elements of family. It has elements of yeah, addressing racism and it's effective because it can bring me along for the ride, even if I don't experience those things. And, and it has its own identity in which it kind of maintains this cultural sphere of character and conflict um, in a way that is really inviting and really kind of kind of welcoming to anybody who watches it, which is part of the reason I think it's had such a big box office success because people can go and watch it and say, man, there are things in here that maybe I don't connect with on a personal level, but I felt like I did watching the movie and other people should too. And they can recommend right. it to people. Right, exactly. Um, and, and I think that's just part of the reasons of, of why I, the hype is real and why... I, I think it's an excellent movie, and and why it's been so positively reviewed. It's not just like, oh my gosh, it's I like it. It's fun. It's entertaining. Like, no, there there are serious, complex issues brought up, as well as having a good time, as well as having you know your superheroes, your superhero fights, and your superhero costumes, and sure. Um, well, one of the things that you mentioned that you said that there were some Marvel stuff that you're kind of getting tired of. And before you get into that, I just wanted to mention, Oh, one thing that I was, that's getting old is, is kind of like the, the quips, the, the, like a joke every 20 seconds. And I liked in this movie, yeah. all that, all that was dialed back there. There's some humor bit, yeah. and, and the jokes are really good, but there's way fewer than in previous films. And I, and I like that they kind of reined it in a little bit. Right. This one definitely, just like Thor Ragnarok, I felt like pushed pushed a little bit on the boundaries of what they can do based on kind of what's been done before. I felt like there were less, yeah, one-liner gags. And the ones they did have, because there were fewer of them, were more effective. And not necessarily because it comes out of nowhere, kind of like in uh, episode eight in a couple in a couple of gags. You're just like, okay, that was that was I supposed to laugh at that? These ones like they break tension in a way that's effective, and usually the lines, the dialogue, which is again very well written, is clever enough to get a laugh. Um, so it's effective, and and, and I, I I think some of some of kind of the tropes I had issue with really are are just me having issue with tropes like you know at the end there's going to be like a CGI-laden fight somewhere. Punch and fest, this yeah. one, it wasn't quite CGI-laden. Like I said, they, they do something different, but 
for the most part, I was just like, yeah, there's going to be a big fight scene at the end. Like, and of course there is. And, and it had me guessing. There were a couple moments in the movie where I was like, wait, is it going to go a different way? And it kind of does, but not quite. It, it toes the line. And just like Thor Ragnarok, I'm like, we need comic book movies to do that. They, they got to change because this is the 18th one. And a lot of people are expecting big CGI fights at the end, you know, and like we, we want to do something a little different, but also please the masses. So I liked the way this movie pushed the envelope regarding the genre. Um, I just, I guess I wish they, they had pushed it more in certain ways, but then I think about it. Yeah. I, I go home and I sleep on it and I wake up the next day and I think about doing this podcast and I'm going to talk about it. And I can't think, I can't help but think to myself, like, what did I want? How could they push the boundary more? Like they did a great job. Like what am I? What am I thinking? So I yeah, I think all of my issues are just like I I didn't want a comic book movie and I went and saw a comic book movie. They're mostly personal. And as far as the the film goes, like it's really good. It's good. Like it's it's good. It's good. So yeah. yeah. When, like, when I say it's okay, that's a personal interpretation. It's a fine movie. Like enjoy. Um. Yeah. Like I said, I I like that they kind of laid back on some of the the marvelisms that we've come to expect there's there's fewer jokes and like wink and nod at the the audience um it just it's a little bit more serious and it's it's a more complex movie than they've done some people are saying it's the absolute best which there's 18 movies i can't even remember them all but it's definitely one of their best entries and i know for me most of the marvel stuff is like a one and done kind of thing like i'll see it in the theater and then like uh, if i see it again okay but with black panther i definitely want to see it again i might go see it again in the theater one of the things i really liked about it is that they save all opening titles till the end of the movie there's no like title card that says black panther at the beginning doesn't happen the only thing they do have and this is the only time i checked my watch in this movie i'm not kidding is the marvel opening when it's like marvel studios oh my god that thing's like a minute long now it's oh, right. so long. Yeah, where it, like you see all the characters come up in the comic book. Dude, it's like 45 seconds. I was like, okay, can we get to the movie now, please? Um, it's just long. And it comes after kind of an opening scene in this movie. So you kind of get into it for a few minutes, and then you get the Marvel opening thing for 45 seconds. And I appreciate that they pushed all the titles to the end, but I kind of wish they didn't have to. I, I would have rather had Black Panther come up in a cool font with cool music than like the absurdly long Marvel intro. Um, this movie also had two post-credit sequences. Pretty pleased with that because I'm pretty pretty sure Guardians of the Galaxy had like four, didn't it? So yeah, for what it's worth, I'll take two. I wish they didn't have any. Frankly, I'm over the post-credit sequences. I I, I I wish they could do it all in the movie for what it is. But for what they're worth, they're they're pretty good little post-credit sequences. They're worth sticking around and watching. Yeah, and I they're think. again they're. They're nice. They're not essential. Like you don't feel like if you miss it, you're completely missing out. Right. Um, you you could just as easily get up and leave. One of the things I want to talk about before we get to official recommendations, uh, Michael B. Jordan's performance. I've heard a lot of people praise him as brilliant. I I love the character. I love the dialogue. I didn't think he was that good. And this is personal. I don't know. I for some reason, right? Like I I really I know you're laughing. No, I, no, no. I. I see, he didn't. I, I don't. I don't know. Like his, his delivery of his lines. I'm like, it kind of just feels like he's just saying them loudly. Like I, I, I didn't feel any kind of like. I don't. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think? I mean, I thought. I thought that he was fine. Um, I, I, and I feel like his. He has a great character, and I think that that character is well written. But it's not like above and beyond. It's not like you know the Joker or Bane or something where you like can completely have to transform into someone else. I, I thought for. What he, I thought he did the character justice, but the character isn't like way up, up and beyond. There's not an Oscar worthy, uh, you know, performance right. in there or something. No, yeah, I, I again like loved the character, like the look of him, the sound of him, the feel of him, his motivations, his his conflicts, like everything about him, I liked. I just thought Michael B. Jordan's delivery was a little weird, but that's just me. I, I know a lot of people have said he was he was brilliant. Did you have anything else you want to talk about before we get to recommendations? No, I think I'm. That's good for me. I don't think anybody will be surprised uh, by what by by whether or not we'd recommend this. Andy, would you recommend Black Panther? Absolutely. Yeah, I I would as well. Despite the fact that I thought it was all right, um, it is <laughs> definite right. It is definitely worth your time. Like if you're if you're going to the movies, you don't know what to watch. Black Panther is worth the price of admission. Um, take a friend, 
talk about it afterwards. Like, yeah, it's worth a conversation. It's it is a very fun Marvel flick. I'm looking forward to Marvel's next movie, which is what Infinity War. Uh, yeah, I believe so. And I did just I forgot something. There was the one last thing I no, was no, going to no, mention. Ed, yeah, this, this is your last. Yeah, speak now or forever. Hold your peace. So it's uh, I I complain about time a lot of times. A lot of times, especially well, like I said during Phantom Thread, and I checked my watch probably like six times. Yeah. Um, I didn't check my watch at all during this, and it's two hours and fifteen minutes, and I didn't feel the time at all. Some people thought think that the first act is kind of slow, but I I really enjoyed the whole thing. I, I thought that it, the, especially the first act, spends a lot of time just establishing characters and relationships. Right, it does a great job of kind of yeah, just throwing a bunch of little elements at you. And setting up puzzle pieces. And so you kind of have to figure out, wait, how do all of these click together? And it kind of, it, it walks you through that, which I think is clever. It, it's a good way to introduce a lot of a lot of different elements at once and, and make them come together in an interesting way. And I thought that was effective. But yeah, that was kind of what I meant when I said like the plot was a little muddled. Like the first act is a little weird, but it definitely hits its stride going into act two. And I would say the rest of the experience is really enjoyable. Um before we move on to our next segment, one thing I did want to talk about was the time. Man, they ran 26 minutes of ads in front of this. Movie. Ooh, my I didn't, God. I didn't have that many. Jeez. Oh, like, I know I know it's the hot Disney flick. I get it's the new hotness and like everybody's going to go see it. But good Lord. I think it was like eight trailers. I mean, can we uh, can somebody do something about this? Like, oh, my gosh. When you're sitting in a, in a cramped theater next to like. You know, some some parents that are trying to take care of their crying child, and there's like a kid in the seat behind you kicking your chair, like, and there's some dude trying to take a selfie with his girlfriend right when the lights went off. Like, it's it's rough. I'm like, it's a long, t- yeah, it's two hours and fifteen minutes. Like, let's just get to the picture. We all we all have the internet. We've all seen the trailers. Like, let's let's get going. So I that's a personal complaint. They're not going anywhere. I get it. It's advertising. It's fine. Just um. Understand if you go to see Black Panther, you might be in for for the long haul before you actually get to the movie. So that's a personal complaint. Anyway, speaking of complaints, (laughs) I think it's time we get to the death of cinema. So this week, what what are we talking about this week? Leonard Leonard Malton. Leonard... Malton, that's right. From worldofreal.com, your place for alternative movie news. Leonard Malton said earlier this week, actually, yeah, it was earlier this week. Leonard Malton said, if you've never seen silent films or foreign language films, if your education with films begins with Star Wars, then you're handicapped. There's a lot to unpack here. Oh, that's so bad on so many levels. <laughs> it's really rough. Uh, you want to you take a first first swing at this? It's, it's a privilege. It really is. Okay, so... People are always complaining that critics are out of touch, that they're out of touch with mainstream or the public, and statements like this kind of reinforce that. Now, he is kind of talking about film criticism, to be more specific, but it's, it's still, it's very it's a very pretentious thing to say. It's essentially saying, oh, if you haven't had, you know, a well-rounded filmography education starting with the silent films of the 1920s, you can't enjoy cinema, or you can't, you're, or you don't have the right to have a good opinion, and that's... I feel it's really pretentious and it's really like wrong. And most people, most people aren't that serious about movies. Most people, they're casual film goers and that's fine. And you can have your casual film opinion and that's okay too. And for, you know, it's okay if you haven't seen foreign film or you don't like to read sub- subtitles or you haven't seen, you know, Fritz Lang's Metropolis or or whatever. Right. I, I think his is kind of main conflict here, um, and I think he's wrong. All right, yeah, let's get that out of the way. Is like he says in this kind of interview, he says, listen, like when I was getting started, like the first time I got published, it was incredible. Like it was it was such an, a feeling of elation because it was so hard to be a film critic back then in, in print, you know, and get published. Nowadays, Anybody can pick up their cell phone and rattle off a film review in 140 characters or less and you're off to the races. Like there's so many people doing it. It's kind of muddied the waters. And if you think that like Star Wars is great and you haven't bothered to see so much out there that's available in cinema, silent films, foreign language films, if you haven't studied film movements, like then you're missing something and and you, you genuinely haven't opened yourself up to what's possible in cinema. 
And there's parts of that I agree with. Um, I'm all for being an armchair critic. That's why we're doing this show. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that's a personal affront to me. Right. That and is this what show. we're doing. The right home now. of bold cinema. <laughs> the home of bold cinema. But uh, I think I, I get where he's coming from. But at the same time, like I think this is something that should be celebrated, not necessarily critiqued. I think we live in an age where it is easier than ever to produce and publish content to the world. It is. You can pick up your phone and do it right now. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, again, that's, that's a fine example of that. Uh, I, I think that's something that should be praised by critics. And, and, and they should take that a step further and say, man, if you like Star Wars check this out. Like, you're going to love this. Like, we should be inviting the world into that kind of area of cinema. We shouldn't be saying, well, you're, you're kind of getting off on the wrong foot, kid, but go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. That, that's, that's a very us versus them mentality. And it's a mistake. Yeah, I, I get critics can be snobby, but you look at Rotten Tomatoes, and I feel like since the beginning of time, critic scores will be high and public scores will be low, and vice versa. Like on the Dark Knight, every, like well, okay, the Dark Knight's a terrible example. Everybody likes Dark Knight, but uh, what's a, what's a good example of this? Uh, uh, Ghost Star Story, Wars. I guess? Star Wars. Star Wars. Sure. Yeah. The Last Jedi. Yeah. The Last Jedi. The public loved it. Critics were like, it was all right. You know, and and vice versa. We were, we were talking about. I, I'm sure we're going to talk about Logan Lucky in a minute. I, I don't have those pulled up, but I'm sure Logan Lucky is a fine example where critics loved it and you audiences were like, that eh, was okay. Like if it's a weird indie flick. Audiences seem to not like it. Critics love it and vice versa. Like, I think we can bridge that gap better than just pointing at the other side and saying, you don't get it, you're handicapped. That's that's a mistake, I think. Well, uh, and that's add? that's really a, a latest to say like, oh, you know, your my opinion is worth more than yours. And now that the internet, the internet, you know, the internet's this great equalizer that everyone can publish. And to me, what that means is, is if you're an established, you know, publication, let's say like the New York Times, or Leonard Malton, who's been reviewing movies for 40 years, that just means that you have to raise your game and kind of show why are, why are you so credible? Why are you more credible than, you know, the off-script film review or Joe Blow's right. film, film blog? Right. You know, I, I feel it, it just it means that you have to kind of prove your credibility even, even more so. I mean, similar to... You know, we have we have this show, and so maybe we have slightly more credibility than someone who doesn't have a show. But you know, it just show it just shows you like you have to put in a little more effort. And but I, like I said, it's a great equalizer. At the same time, we without the internet, we wouldn't be able to sit and do this. Right. And I yeah I, I man I I watched enough like black and white movies in in school that like I I kind of get where he's coming from I do like he's been doing this a long time and and people I mean part of what he says in here he's like I feel like television film studios have dumbed down audiences to a point where where we're at is blowing things up and blockbuster CGI is what entertains people and it's a shame to look back at movies from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and feel like man like, we had something once, and now we don't. And he says in here, he's like, save for a few movies, usually like Oscar nominees. Like, yeah, there, there's stuff in there that's, like, really worth your time. But otherwise, like, he's, he says he just feels like people have been desensitized without knowing it to finer cinema, to bold cinema. And, right. <laughs> and, right. And again, I'm like, I kind of get that. I do. Like, yeah, I, I can understand that. But at the same time, like... That's not to like who's to say that these movies are necessarily bad, you know? Leonard Malton could watch Black Panther and be like, "Oh, I thought it was stupid," but like that doesn't make it a bad movie just because that's what he thinks. So, yeah. Uh, well, it's yeah. also there's so much to see. Like, it's so hard to to keep up with everything that comes out. Just like during the year, like there's always things that go by that I don't get around to seeing, and that only that list only gets longer as the years go by. So it's hard to go back to the 60s or the 70s or the 50s and try to you know let me watch the 10 best films from each year starting in 1950 like there's just not enough time and like you know i don't like the idea of people saying well you can't have an informed opinion if you haven't you know studied all this stuff that would be like me saying like i'm a, I'm a music guy it'd be like me saying oh well you can't really have a an opinion on rock and roll if you didn't study you know 16th century bach or 
whatever. And it's like, no, that's it's so long ago. And like, sure, you might be a little bit more insightful, but you can still have informed opinions without having this huge backlog of experience. Right. I, uh, I get where he's coming from. I do. But like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between <laughs> this just being sensationalism from a headline and just cherry picking a quote and everybody, everybody jumping on it. And yeah, the, the point that he is kind of an older guy. Yeah, he comes from kind of an older league and, and cinema is changing. I mean, so it, t- entertainment changes. Like, that's how this all works. It's always been that way. Just because it is the way it is now doesn't mean it might, be, might not be the way you prefer again. Who knows? And I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any kind of like bar here for, for what is good and what is bad. For somebody like Leonard Mullen, go see Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. You're going to love that movie. For everybody else, go see Black Panther. You're going to love that movie. There's things for everybody, all right? Just go see what you want. Decide at the box office. Uh, you know, pony up the 11 bucks or whatever it is to get in, and, uh, you know, you're on your way. Well, and the the other thing, or the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, some of these older critics have kind of been struggling in the new age. I'm rem- reminded of Richard Roper, who was recently suspended from the Chicago Times for buying Twitter followers. Right. And, and he used to be kind of a big deal because he had, he took over w- with uh, Roger Ebert after Gene Siskel died. So they was uh, Ebert and Roper, mm-hmm. you know, so he was like on par with one of the, you know, most well-known critics of all time. And then, and, is, then and then now he's, and then he gets busted for buying Twitter right. followers, buying Twitter followers. Yeah. What, what a fall from grace. I think, uh, you know, Leonard Malton's going to keep writing his books and he's going to still be Leonard Malton. And every time you see his name, you're going to think film. So it's not like the guy's detached himself from the genre. It's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I don't see a guy like this going, hey, check out my top five recommendations for every, for every kid who wants to get into movies. If you're going into film school, here's my top 10 list for movies you got to watch before the first day of class. Like help get people involved, bridge that gap, you know, and tell them where they can find them. We were just talking about earlier, like Amazon prime is working out an incredible movie selection lately. It's slow, but it's coming along. They're getting some bangers on there. I mean it, check it out. Um, and, and like, Tell people about that. Encourage people to see this incredible work and, and help them see why it's good and what they might be missing. You know, pass that along to another generation. Don't tell them they're stupid. Yeah, exactly. That'd be much better for him to write a blog that said, hey, this big movie's coming out. Oh, well, let's look at some of the, where some of these influencers are from or some of the movies that the directors talked about. And, you, you know, you can talk about this backlog of older movies. You're exactly right. Right. So I think we should probably move on to our next movie. This is Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The first kind of thing about this movie, I should say it is on Amazon Prime. I know there was a question about it at one point. It's on there. You can watch it. If you have Prime, it costs you nothing. Check it out. Worth your time. Just going to get my recommendation out of the way, I guess. Um, <laughs> I should talk about the plot. Uh, the plot of Logan Lucky. It came out, what, earlier this year? Yeah, 20, uh, summer. 2017, last year. Yeah, Summer. It is just under two hours long. Logan Lucky is a comedy, really, uh, by Steven Soderbergh about two brothers, uh, Channing Tatum and Adam Driver, who play Jimmy at Logan and I don't remember Adam Driver's character's name. I'm like, <laughs> Clyde Logan, Jimmy Clyde, and Clyde. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I can explain why I don't remember it in a minute. Jimmy and Clyde Logan, who be a little down on their luck, attempt to rob a uh, essentially NASCAR race in North Carolina. Charlotte Motor Speedway. Charlotte Motor Speedway for the Coca-Cola 600. That's right. Uh, using their kind of backwoods uh, North Carolina, I, I guess blue collar. I don't want to say redneck. Uh, logic and a couple of connections they know. They, they have a way to pull a heist and and rob this this place blind. And that is kind of the setup for the movie. It is, in my opinion, stop me if you've heard this before, Steven Soderbergh's a very intelligent director. This is a very, very smart comedy heist film shown through this very brilliant lens of like, beer-stained, NASCAR-watching, redneck hillbillies. And it's great. Yes. It is such a treat. It's It feels so fresh. It really does. You're like, oh my God, something different. It's not a period piece. It's not like 
a smart Ocean's Eleven ripoff. It is like its own, which is funny because he did Ocean's Eleven and Twelve and Thirteen. It is its own thing. It's set in this unique setting that you don't see movies in, and it's not some depressing story about some country hick who lost his truck and his girlfriend. It is this kind of inspiring, in a way, comedy tale of these two brothers just trying to pull off this heist, and it's great, and I, I really enjoyed it. Andy, <laughs> Andy, what do you think? Um, I really liked it, too. I laughed a lot uh, when I saw it first, saw, and when I saw it again. I, I did see it in theaters. It's uh, It's got a really colorful cast. Um, so we have Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, uh, but we also have lots of kind of kind not cameo appearances because i mean they're credited in the movie but lots of famous people kind of show up um both what and there's lots of jokes and lots and lots of really clever subtle humor that you'll easily miss if you're not paying attention there's a lot of jokes i didn't get till the second time around one of my favorites is that daniel craig you know very british daniel craig of course is he's in the movie and he plays uh, Joe Bang, who's uh, a demolitions expert, he's a bank bank robber, and you know he does this really you know thick uh, Southern North Carolina accent, and he really pulls it off. And and the, yeah. the and the joke that that I'm always laughing at is that in the trailer and in the credits, he keeps saying introducing Daniel Craig. Now right. you only say introducing when you're actually introducing an actor for the first time, and obviously Daniel Craig's a huge actor and has been a huge star for quite some time. So I just like that always kind of just makes me chuckle that they put that in there. And there's and there's so much of that throughout the film um, that have just these real subtle jokes that you'll miss. If you blink, you'll miss it. It's just so intelligent. And actually, so I watched to the end of the credits. There's a joke at the very last frame and it says, oh, really? This it says this is a work of fiction. No one was robbed in the making of this film (laughs) except you. Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I had not caught that. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of... Oh, really quick. I want to touch on some other performances. Seth MacFarlane is in this movie. As a character with not the most convincing aspect, accent for me, but maybe I've just seen too much Seth MacFarlane, uh, Katie Holmes is in this movie. Um, so yeah, a, lo- a lot of interesting kind of characters. I think there's a couple others that kind of make cameos, but I don't recall who off the top of my As, head. Uh, Sebastian Stan, Hillary Sebastian Swank. Sebastian Stan is in this movie. Hillary Swank is in this movie. Yep, absolutely. You're right. It reminded me a lot of the nice guys. Do you remember who did that? I don't. I don't. I don't either. But yeah, it's 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 a very smart comedy set in this setting that you don't see often. It's just unique and it's individual and it's clever. It's it's very patient. It takes its time. There there's no there's not a whole lot of like I, I would say laugh track effects. There's there's not a whole lot of like oh now you should laugh. It's not quite a black comedy, but it's it's it. It, it doesn't wait for you. It keeps moving. Like, yeah, yeah you got to, it's just like you said, blink and you'll miss it. Um, um, well, like Adam Driver's character is a, a vet, you know, a rock war veteran who's missing an arm. Yes. And and him missing an arm is, yeah, I mean, his prosthetic arm is part of a number of jokes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that kind of dark humor side of it. Oh, sure. Yeah, he's an Iraq war veteran. That, that comes up a couple of times. And yeah, there's definitely being, you know, set in North Carolina and being, I guess, kind of a dark comedy. I don't even know if I'd say it's that. There's definitely some 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 violent jokes. There's a couple. Yeah, there, there's some jokes that are a little, little, little bit darker than you'd hope. But it's an adult comedy and it, it works really well. It's it's one of those movies I, I, I got to the end of. I was like, why haven't more people seen this? Like, why why wasn't this more popular? It's a shame. Um and I wish it had been. Yeah, and I mean, I I really like Adam Driver, and you know, obviously he's Kylo Ren in Star Wars, and he could he could be this huge star that only kind of did huge roles, but he's doing lots of these smaller films, and it's really great. Like he did Patterson, he did Logan Lucky uh, last year, he did Silence, and these are all really challenging, complex, very different roles. So it's nice to see him not not getting shoehorned into like the big megastar uh, kind of actor phase right and i feel like i i I would say almost the same for channing tatum just because looking at what he's done i know you think of channing tatum comedy but i mean he did foxcatcher and that was nominated for academy awards like he did this with steven soderbergh you don't just you don't just do a steven soderbergh movie off the top of your head you know it's something you're like okay i kind of i kind of know what i'm getting into 
he did Hail Caesar with the Coen brothers. Like, oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, he, he was in Hateful Eight at one point with Quentin Tarantino. Like, clearly he's trying to kind of do his own thing, and that's what I enjoyed a lot about this movie, is it definitely feels like an exercise for a lot of these actors. It's like, it's it, they're trying something different. Katie Holmes is, is not necessarily unrecognizable, but definitely trying to kind of do something different. Joe Bang is a very different character for Daniel Craig. It was enjoyable to see, the, to see these actors kind of challenge themselves in this role and try to pull off comedy, which I think is a very difficult thing to pull off on screen. So yeah, Logan Lucky. And any other any other thoughts, Andy? Uh, the only other th- thing there, there's so much, like I said, that I caught the second time around, and I'll give a short example of that. Is um, so his sister uh, Melly Logan, played by uh, Riley Keough, um, who is in Mad Max Fury Road. She's one of the she's one of the brides. One oh, of the you're wives. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is she's she's like the uh, getaway driver, and I I thought that was just a real subtle kind of hint at Mad Max that she's the you know she was in Mad Max and she's the getaway driver and sure and, and she also it, what's funny is early in the movie there's so much that I missed it she knows a whole lot about cars in the film and the first time I see it, it didn't really click and then of course she does because she's the getaway driver yeah oh also uh, Catherine Waterston is in this movie yeah yeah yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's she's, right. she's great in this too I didn't know this I was looking at this on IMDb Riley Riley Keough is that how you say it Co? Keough She's uh, Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Crazy. Yeah. For you, that, that's your bar trivia for the week. There you go. Yeah, Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Um, I suppose recommendations. Uh, would you recommend Logan Lucky? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you have Amazon Prime already. Right. Yes, I, I would recommend it as well. If you've got Amazon Prime, like do yourself a solid and throw it in your watch list. It's not for everybody. I, I should say that. If you're going to watch this, like, with your parents, like, they might think it's dumb. You know, if you're going to watch this with, like, your your little brother, he might think it's dumb. But it's, it's a, like, again, it's a smart comedy that's wrapped up in a package that looks stupid. And it's effective. Yeah, it's, 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 it's these characters that are out in this backwoods nowhere. And it seems like it would be a dumb comedy, but it's not. It's, it's, it's very intelligent. And I think it's worth your time. So, yeah, that's... Logan Lucky. Before we wrap the show, I did want to ask you about Jumanji. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, what, what is the full title? Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's going to be okay. Taking full advantage of the Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> that's right. So what did, you, what, what did you think of Jumanji? First, hit me with the, or hit me with the plot because I saw a trailer, but I don't really know. So walk me through it a little bit. Okay, so this uh, this has been out for almost two months now, right. um, and it was still playing, so I went and saw it with some friends. Um, so it, it picks up about 20 years after the previous Jumanji, and uh, we get these four kids who are sent to detention, and they stumble across a, the, a video game console that has like a Jumanji Nintendo cartridge, and they get sucked into the game and they kind of take on different personas and so that's when you get like the the rock or dwayne johnson jack black uh kevin hart i can't remember the the girl's name um which uh which she's great um but uh was karen yeah karen gillum i was gonna say i was gonna look it up if you did sorry i know it'll kill you sorry yeah yeah, i feel bad about it uh so that so it kind of takes off with the previous one from 95 and where they have to kind of defeat different levels to move on. And what I'll say is like this movie is way better than it deserves to be. It has all the makings of a really bad movie or a really mediocre movie. And it's not like it has a really kind of generic intro kind of bland teenage characters. It's kind of predictable. It's kind of cheesy, but it is really fun. And I laughed a lot like the, particularly at kevin hart i mean he's just he's so funny like anytime he gets worked up and yells like it just can't stop laughing um so there's there's good jokes and there's good ensemble chemistry um you know it's it's entertaining and it's really funny and it it really kind of shouldn't be it (laughs) it it has all the makings of, of a bad movie and it's not Right, listening to the setup and the plot, like it sounds so terrible. Like just oh, these kids find a video game and get sucked into it, like awful. Um, but yeah, you're the second person I've heard who said like it is so much better than it deserves to be, and I love a movie that does that. That is just so much better than it should be. Like it doesn't happen every day, and when it does, it's something worth celebrating. I think. What 
was so enjoyable about this? Was it the dialogue? Was it the the, the, the situations these characters find themselves in? Like, I mean, I, think I know, was, I know. That, go ahead. I think it was just the the humor and the chemistry between uh, the characters. It's you know because you you have some of these uh, conflicts between uh, you know which what are essentially the teenage versions of the characters and they work through them and they get resolved. But it's yeah, man, it's just it's funny. I laughed a whole lot. I did want to ask, yeah, how how hokey that got because it, it is a PG thirteen movie. It's not necessarily made for little kids, but how how far did that go? Because at one point you've got what it doesn't somebody like it's a gender swap Jack Black and yeah and Karen Karen Gillan. So so how how did that was that cheesy? I mean, the, did it work? I mean, sometimes like I said, sometimes it's cheesy. Sometimes the the jokes don't land, but they land more often than they don't. Past the six laugh test, I'd assume. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. How does I guess kind of the journey they go through to get out of the game, I'd presume. Does that feel like kind of self-fulfilling or does it feel forced? Were there any points where you felt like the plot maybe didn't? Well, you know, so that what they have to do is defeat different levels. And, you know, being in a video game, they kind of have, they all have different abilities. There is this great scene where they kind of tap their chest and it shows their stats and there's that some is kind of cool. Yeah. And, and there's some good jokes about what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. Yeah. You know, like 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 Jack Black's his weakness is endurance. These kinds of like, of course, yeah, you know, uh, stuff like that. So it's just a lot of real real good subtle humor, and you know, they have to work to bring the eye of the jewel of the jaguar back to you know. It's it's a, it's got a little bit of Indiana Jones in it in, in that sense. How much do you feel like it builds on the Jumanji lore? Is this a reboot? Is this kind of follow up to the Robin Williams one? Where where are you on that? I don't know reboot. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so because it's the Robin Williams one is kind of a classic and it's so different. You would have to kind of remake it to do it any kind of justice. So it, it just kind of, yeah. I'm just mo- it's moving on in a new direction. Like there, it takes very little from the original. Right. Do you think um, this will be the beginning of a Jumanji Jumanji universe? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's 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 already been greenlit for a sequel because it's made tons of money. Well, you, okay. Do you think that the the sequel would fall apart if they didn't have this cast? Uh, yeah, I think they're def- definitely going to have to bring this cast back. All right. Well, then, yeah, it'd probably work pretty well, honestly, if they could kind of recapture that magic. It's not every day you can put together a crew that just gets along well enough for you to really to to carry a movie. I mean, there's a lot to that. I'm sure Karen Gillan had a lot. Jillian? Jillian? There's no, there's no, first no I. I. Yeah. So I guess it's Jillian. I I don't know. Gillian? Anyway, uh, she probably had a lot on her shoulders being the only female character in this cast of three other men. And she is played, technically she plays a teenage boy, right? No, so she's, no, so the only one that's gender swapped is the Jack Jack Black Black. character. Yeah. Well, that. Somehow that I guess that works out. That, no <laughs> surprise there. In a weird way, I guess out of the cast, I wouldn't. I, no surprise. Jack Black is is the gender swapped one. Would you recommend Jumanji? Yeah, definitely. All yeah, right. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, worth worth the price of admission. You think? Definitely. If it comes to a streaming service, uh, which yeah. one do you think it'll be on? Uh, hard to say. And probably yeah. Netflix. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Probably Netflix. We should probably talk about streaming services and where they seem to rank. Because, like I said, I after watching Logan Lucky and looking at Amazon Prime, there's a lot of winners on there. I'm I'm really surprised. Like Amazon stepping up their game, and uh, Netflix, I feel like is stepping down their game. And I want you to know before we move off completely Jumanji and and move towards the end of the show, uh, you did this cheeky thing where you got on Facebook over the weekend and you said you were watching Jumanji with friends, and you linked to the old Jumanji with Robin Williams. Right. And I got I got way overexcited about having like a thoughtful, nuanced conversation about the original Jumanji <laughs> starring Robin Williams. And I went to the comments and saw you were like, oh, no, it's the new one. I was just kidding. And I was like, damn it. Well, I thought that was going to be so great. Like, I was really looking forward to that. So, so that we, was that yeah. was uh, that was totally an accident. I just like I typed in, you know, I checked in as seeing Jumanji and it, it, I just clicked the first thing that popped up. Yeah, and I okay, didn't. Well, I did, didn't even realize that that's it what I did. It wasn't even done. like a well thought out gag. You just did it. Okay, no, I see. No, someone had to bring it to my attention. Like later, I was like, oh, yeah. whoops. No, I we we should do that at some point. That would be a movie I'd love to revisit. The original Jumanji because I I always really dug that movie. And I wonder I wonder if I went back and watched it now if I would still think it was as good. But 
Well, um, I suppose that's our show. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we before we kind of wrap things up? Uh, no, I'm good to move on. All right. Well, uh, next week we'll be seeing Annihilation starring Natalie Portman, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who that, directed Annihilation? Put you, put you right on the spot. Do you, do you know? Alex Garland. Alex the, Garland. Pre, who previously did uh, Ex Machina. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, now, now I'm even more excited about seeing this movie. And rewatching Moonlight, last year's best picture winner. It wasn't La La Land, it was Moonlight. <laughs> That's right. Despite Warren, whatever Warren Beatty's doing, um, which I'm excited to see. I, have, I haven't seen Moonlight. Um, and we've got this weird... We've had this, yeah, we've had, we've had this interesting span of three weeks, I realize looking back now, where we did Get Out, Black Panther, and now Moonlight. Three movies that kind of have a central theme across all of them. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be interesting to kind of watch. I also watched Hidden Figures somewhere in there, but that's, that's for another show. Okay. Uh, if you want to reach us, if you want to get in, be involved with the show, the show would not be what it is without you guys. So thank you for listening. And if you want to be a part of it, if you want to let us know what you thought, if you want to recommend a movie, if you want to ask us about a movie recommendation, hit us up at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Dot com. Check out the website, offscriptfilmreview.com, put together by the lovely Dr. Draper himself. And you can find us on Spreaker and iTunes currently, which is fantastic. If you're listening to this show, you probably already know about one of those. Maybe check out the other. Maybe subscribe on iTunes. Maybe throw <laughs> us a rating and review. Uh, how, how cool would that be? <laughs> that would, that, that would that, be excellent. That'd be wild, man. So, yeah, I, th- I think that just about covers everything. Is there anything I'm missing, Andy? I feel like I'm missing something. No. Um, other than next week will be our last show before the Oscars, so we'll probably be uh, kind of recapping some of that or uh, oh, prepare, God, pre- right. preparing ourselves for uh, that disaster. I'm gonna have to. Act, I might have to actually watch the Oscars this year if it's streamable somewhere. I'll check it out. I, I mean it. If I have to watch on stupid ABC public television, I don't want to do it. But well, it's 2018, right? I'm sure it's available somewhere. Anyway, uh, for off script, the home of bold cinema. I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. And that's episode nine. Thanks for listening. Episode 10. That's episode 10. Thanks for listening.